We're starting a series today and over these next few weeks about hearing God, about learning to discern God's voice and to know how he speaks, uh, not just in sort of a general way, but specifically we're encouraging us as individuals and as a congregation to be moving toward the Lord. How do you speak to me? How do I learn to hear from you? And over these next couple of weeks, we'll be looking at how God speaks through the scripture. That's where we'll begin as we lay a foundation. And then how he speaks through other people. And then how God speaks to us each through the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. And I can honestly say that there is no more important thing for us to learn in order to grow and mature spiritually, emotionally, as humans, as his followers, as ministers of God, there's no more important thing for us than to learn how God speaks, to learn to discern and to listen and to be people who expect and who live from that place of God's speaking voice. You know, our culture is really into spiritual things these days, and it's been growing increasingly over recent years, this growing interest in spiritual things and connecting with that which is beyond. There are just a whole bunch of television shows, right, internet programs and movies that are pointing toward the spiritual, pointing beyond ourselves, away from our world, connecting with the supernatural or that which is beyond the natural. People are experimenting more and more with things like Ouija boards, with tarot cards, reading horoscopes, as if the stars could somehow tell us about our future, as though nature could communicate to us about how to be successful or how to be happy. The tragedy, of course, is that so few people these days have recognized, at least they hadn't recognized yet, that in seeking the supernatural, often we're seeking the supernatural in wrong ways, in ways that will actually expose us to supernatural evil and darkness, dark forces. Whereas what God offers us, and what God offers us through the Bible, the Holy Scriptures, is an opportunity to meet with supernatural goodness, supernatural good to meet with the living God himself. It's interesting because the difference between the true God and all other gods, all other spiritual things, is that the true God, the living God, is a God who communicates, calls himself the Word, is a God who hears and moves and acts and is interested in people's lives and desires to have relationship with us, not just that somehow we would be doing all the talking, but that the true God, the living God, is a speaking God. And I can tell you from experience, both with the dark stuff and with the true God, that the living God, the supernatural forces of good are so much more thrilling and satisfying, and I got to tell you, it's a great deal wiser to engage with him. Now, if you've been around a while, you know that I love biographies. It's just, you know, I love to hear about people's lives, like real people living real lives. 
And specifically, I love to read about Christians who have gone on before. I take great encouragement to see how did these people walk with God. And so I try to read as many biographies as I can, both of people we've all heard of, and I often like the sort of ones nobody's really heard of, especially missionaries who've gone out. I read an account of the missionaries Richard and Margaret Hillis. Probably not many of you know of them. They were in China prior to World War II or in the early stages of World War II at the time in which Japan was invading mainland China. They were living not too far from the coast a ways in. Things were getting tense because the Japanese had landed and they were making their way and destroying everything in their path and killing everyone that they encountered. And the tension was mounting. At the most inopportune time you can imagine, Richard Hillis got an acute case of appendicitis right at that time as the Japanese are coming. And they knew he was going to die unless they got him out of there and got him inland to a hospital. And they sent him the only way they could at that time, which was by rickshaw, Chinese rickshaw. And they sent him off. And he and his wife Margaret were just broken over it because they had to send him in in sort of emergency fashion. And she stayed behind because they had two babies. They had a 15-month-old son, and they had a two-month-old daughter. It was January, so they knew that those little children, there was no way they were going to be able to make the trek as refugees. It was just no way. It was too harsh a climate. So Margaret opted to stay in that town in their little home. And she was, as you can imagine, terrified. And so she began to pray. Chinese colonel came by from the local militia. He said, everybody must evacuate. You must go now. They had a calendar on the wall. And it was one of those kind that has a scripture verse for the day. This has been around a long time. And, and that day, as this Chinese colonel came and said, you must leave, she looked at the day's scripture verse. And this is what it said. Psalm 56, verse 3. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise. In God I trust. I shall not be afraid. And though the town emptied out, and though she was afraid, she let that scripture speak to her as the day went on. She was hearing God through the scripture. She kept bringing herself back to it. I will not be afraid. I have trusted in you. I have trusted in you. I have trusted in you. I shall not be afraid. Well, the next morning, she woke up, and it was empty, and she felt really abandoned. She tore off the next page on the calendar and read this verse from Psalm 9, verse 10. And those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Despite how she was feeling, she put her trust in the word of God, that God was speaking to her about trust, that he would not forsake her. The next day, the sounds of war were getting very close. She could hear explosions not too far away in the hills. She tore the calendar page 
And there was a verse from Genesis 50, 21. All that morning she had been afraid, how am I going to feed my children? There's nobody around. And this is what the scripture read. So do not fear, for I will nourish you and your little ones. And she began to meditate on that verse and call out to God about that verse. And it wasn't long before there was a knock on the door and an old Chinese woman was there with a pail of hot steaming goat's milk. And a little bit after that, a straggler came by with a dozen eggs. War sounds are getting closer. She went to bed that night but was unable to sleep because she was terrified. And she prayed all night long for deliverance. The next morning she got up. She tore the page from the counter and read Psalm 56, verse 9. When I cry to you, Lord, my enemies shall turn back. This I know, that God is for me. And she prayed that all day long. My enemies will turn back. My enemies will turn back. You are for me. You are for me. You are for me. She went to bed that night with the sounds of battle very close. At some point in the night, she actually fell asleep. And when she woke up the next morning, there was absolute stillness. So still, it's what woke her up. She had no idea what was going on. As the day went on, people started showing back up in the town. And eventually, that Chinese colonel came back to her door, knocked on it, and said, we don't know what has happened. Inexplicably, the Japanese turned and went another direction. We have no idea why, but it's safe here now. This is what she wrote. I felt as though I had been reading the very handwriting of God. I felt as though I had been reading the very handwriting of God. As she took those verses and she meditated on them, as she took them to heart, she was hearing God's very words to her through the Bible. And that is, of course, the Bible's own testimony about itself, that it is the very word of God to his people. Now, it's certainly full of words that were written by humans. They are entirely human words, but they are human words that were written under the inspiration of God himself. That's the testimony of the scripture. If you look there at your lesson from 2 Timothy chapter 3, it's there in your scripture sheet. Paul is talking to Timothy about all this struggle that has been going on and and all the hardship that he has faced. And he's saying, look, if you're going to live this Christian life, Timothy, you're going to face persecution The world hates those who live for God. But then he gives Timothy the encouragement that he needs in verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Those words there breathed out by God. Some translations say God breathed. They're a transliteration of a Greek word. And that Greek word actually means God inspired, God given. 
God originated. They begin with him and proceed forth from the Lord. They are literally from God. Their origin is not simply the people who wrote them down from the various cultures over a long period of time, but they are from God through them. And for what purpose? Well, here's the thing. The only way we can know God is by revelation. By revelation. It's not our efforts that get us to God. It's God's desire that we would know him. That God's grace comes to us. It precedes any movement we ever make toward God. God's grace comes first. God's revelation must be made known to us. To us. Here in our minds and here in our hearts in order for us to actually know God. Otherwise, we'll just be reading words on a page. And as he has revealed himself in this book through these words, he reveals not only who he is, but his ways. The way God moves, what God's character is, what God is like. Because on our own, here's what happens when we try to figure out God on our own. We always end up coming up with a God that looks just like us. You may have heard of the search for the historical Jesus. It's a terminology that's been used in recent years in biblical interpretation. Each generation that has sought for a historical Jesus outside of the pages of Scripture always ends up with a Jesus that looks just like their own culture. So in the 70s, you got a hippie Jesus, right? And in the 60s, you got a Jesus that rebelled against the man. In the 80s, you got a yuppie Jesus, I guess. I'm not sure what we get now. Maybe a Jesus who doesn't necessarily believe anything. But he's very sincere. What is God like? What does God oppose? God is not for all things. They're not all equally of the same value. These words we say in baptismal promises, we clergy say when we are ordained in our new prayer book that has come out. We'll start using sometime in the year ahead on our screens here. In the confirmation vows, we, we say words that the words of the Old and the New Testament contain all things needed for our salvation. They reveal to us who God is and who we are and what it means to be saved as his people Look at that passage there in Psalm 119. We just gave you a chunk. If you know anything about Psalm 119, it's the longest psalm in the Bible. The whole thing is a psalm about God, but what's fascinating is that it focuses on God's word. And why is that? Because we know God through the scripture, through God's word. Listen to what the psalmist writes. Oh, how I love your law. Woo! I never hear anybody say that these days. I hear people say things like, well, I like the God of the New Testament, but I don't like the God of the Old Testament. Same God, by the way. You don't like the God of the Old Testament. You don't like the God Jesus was talking about because he only had the Old Testament. Oh, how I love your law. Why? Because it's a rule book? No, because it reveals who you are and it reveals who I am. It shows me my deep need. Martin Luther said that the law was a mirror that reflected back to us who we are apart from God. And then, of course, for those of us who might lead or lean towards being self-righteous, the law serves as a hammer 
to break that self-righteousness apart that we might know our need and fall in love with the God who has come after us and who has made us his own. Oh, I love your law. And listen to all the ways they speak about the scriptures in these verses. It is my meditation all the day long. It's what I focus my heart and my mind on. It's the thing that is the core of my being. Your commandment, I love your law. I love your commandment. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. College students in the room, did you catch that? When your teacher is tearing you down, your professor is hammering your faith, I have more understanding than all my teachers. Now, receive that humbly, by the way. (laughs) For your testimonies are my meditation. They are the things upon which I place my life. I understand more than even the aged. You can be 15, 14, 13 years old and be wiser than the oldest person in this room if you are a young person who loves the scriptures, and who seeks to know God through them because wisdom biblically doesn't come with age. It comes with a willingness to pursue God's heart and to receive the pursuit God already has of us. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. And so we see the law and the commandment and the precepts and the word and the testimonies. How sweet are your words to my taste, even the rules that you have taught me, the rules for healthy relationships, and boy, don't we need those. In a culture where everything is collapsing, how do we actually live together in healthy relationships? How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, and therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet, and a light to my path. It directs me in the way that I go. It directs me in the way. And it shows me the pitfalls on the paths of life that I might not fall into them because I have learned to discern and see God's heart through the word that I've hidden within me and that directs me each day. Let me ask a question. And this might be new for some of you, but for those of you who've been kind of around for a while, Do you remember the first scripture you ever hid in your heart, memorized, hid inside? You may have to go all the way back, some of you who were raised in church, all the way back to those earliest days. Do you remember it? It's an important verse for you. The first scripture I ever hid in my heart happened when I was about 19 years old. That's when I came to faith. And I was being mentored, or what we would call discipled, by an older Christian. And it was literally, well, it was literally this time of the year, 30 years ago. You can do the math and figure out now how old I am. And she gave me a little plaque, my dear sweet friend, little old lady named Vera Hayes, who sort of adopted this straggly college student who had hit a wall and somehow met Jesus. She gave me this little plaque, and on it was Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Or in some versions, he will direct your steps or your ways. 
And I can remember each day when I didn't know anything about the Bible, I knew Proverbs 3 and I hid it in my heart and I began to think about what it meant and I began to use it as I encountered things throughout my day. Trust in the Lord. How? With all my heart. Don't always lean on your own understanding. I was raised by a doctor and a nurse. I was a scientific uh, geology major, right? I had a brain that wanted to know everything laid out and figured out and neatly organized. And I made the mistake very often of trusting this and not trusting the one whom I had just met. And so this word was reminding me, not that I had to check my brain at the door, but that I had to submit my mind to him and to the scriptures. Do you remember... Do you remember that first verse you hid in your heart? Do you have a life verse? What I mean by that, a verse that you you sort of land on. It's where you live and breathe and you go back to. Maybe those two are the same. They might not be. One of my life verses is from Romans chapter 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. You know why God gave me that one? Because I had a whole lot of needing to be set free from condemnation and shame and heartache and fear. What's your life verse? If you don't have one, ask God for one and start looking for it. It'll have something probably to do with your heart's story and your heart's journey along the way. Whether your successes or your failures, it will always land on your deep need, but it will always come from God's good heart to you. And then let your life rest on it. And do it. And live it. And meditate on it. That's a whole parable Jesus was talking about in Matthew 7 there. The foolish person hears his words and doesn't put them into practice. It's like a person who lives oceanfront and doesn't build their house up on stilts and has them ground down way deep to the solid rock. But the wise woman, the wise man, is the one who builds their house on a foundation, who hears his words and does them. Who hears and who does, that's faith. It's belief that moves into action. It's trust with feet on it. And that's what he's looking for. Let me close with this. R.A. Torrey was another Christian I admired. He happened to be the first president of a college that my daughters went to, uh, a school called Biola. He was meeting with a group of people, and another doctor came to him, Dr. Congdon. And Dr. Congdon was complaining about the fact that you know, I can't get anything out of Bible study. It's all dry. I don't, there's, there's nothing, I don't get anything from it. It's dry as dust. So he asked Dr. Torrey, please tell me how to read it so that it will mean something to me. And this is what Dr. Torrey said. Read it. Yeah, please tell me how to read it so that I'll get something out of it. Read it. I do read it. Torrey said, read it some more. And then read it some more and meditate on it and chew on it and listen for the word within the word, for the voice within the words. Congdon said, but how? Good doctor, right? How? 
Tori said, pick a book from the Bible, maybe a New Testament book, and read it 12 times a day for a month. And Dr. Cognon said, what book could I read 12 times a day for a month? I'm busy. This was at the start of the 20th century. How busy are you? Dr. Busy? Probably a lot of you are. So Tori, I think probably just grabbing a book out of the air, honestly, said, try 2 Peter. And so Dr. Congdon and his wife took him up on it. And this is what he later wrote. My wife and I read 2 Peter three or four times every morning. And then we read 2 Peter two or three times at lunch. And then we read 2 Peter two or three times at dinner or in the evening. And soon I was talking 2 Peter to everyone I met. It seemed as though all of creation, the very stars, the birds, were singing 2 Peter and the word of God through the words of God to me. I began to worship as I read my Bible, and I often did so on my knees. I marked passages. I meditated on passages. I learned passages. Teardrops often mingled with my pen's color on the pages of the Bible. And I said to my wife, see how I have ruined this part of my Bible. And she said, yes, you have. But as the pages have been getting smeared, your life has been growing clear. Friends, that's how you hear from God. You engage, you expect, you trust. You give him some of your time, and he will speak, and you will learn to hear, and he will guide your life. Let's pray. Well, God, grant us to hear you this morning through these words, through your scripture, through our songs, through communion, and this week through your Bible, that we might hear you and know you, and in knowing you, we might know your love. We thank you, Lord, for the one who is called the word, Jesus himself. It's in his name we pray. Amen.